I'd like to thank Aaron K for sponsoring this week's Torah content. June is less than a month away, which means that I'll soon be transitioning into summer writing mode with more Substack articles and fewer recorded shirim. The bulk of these articles will remain free. However, if you would like to support my Torah and access additional spicy written content, consider becoming a paid subscriber by going to rabbishnewest.substack.com. Okay, so we are going back to Hilva's Malachim, and we're going to do something that uh, I don't think we've done yet. Have we ever used the Arch Shulchan Ha'asid? In your memory? Because I was thinking about it, if we're doing the Hilva's uh, Malachim, I decided over Shabbos to look up what we did in the Arch Shulchan Ha'asid. And just as background info here, uh, this is on the Sparia little uh, blurb here. The Arch Shulchan Ha'asid, uh, the Arch Shulchan of the future, uh, is a parallel work to the Arch Shulchan by the same author, by Yechil Michal Epstein from 1875 to... No, that is not when he lived. He lived for more than 20 years. <laughs> Compose between 1875 and 1905. Um, it focuses on laws not applicable during the life of the author, like agricultural laws that apply only in Israel and laws of sacrifices that only apply in temple times. The work style parallels that of the Oracle Shulchan, tracing laws to their origins and discussing the positions of recent and older authorities. It was published posthumously. So uh, this is the closest thing to the Mishnah Torah. I mean, by a far cry, though, because, you know, Rambam wrote a halakha code on all halakha, applicable, not applicable nowadays. And most of the other, you know, codifiers, the Rif and the Ramah and the, uh, the Shulchan Aruch and the, the Rush wrote on only stuff that applied now. Aruch Shulchan is the only one I know of who attempted to do a, a comprehensive thing on, on all the halakhos that are like, you know, not applied nowadays. So the problem though, problem is, you know, in the actual Aruch Shulchan, he quotes like, all of the, you know, the Rishonim and the Achronim and stuff. Here, there isn't as much to quote from because it's basically the Rambam and like the Tanaitic and Amoraic sources. So a lot of it is just quoting the Rambam verbatim, but occasionally you get like nuggets. <laughs> okay, so for example, here's what he writes. This is in Simon, uh, this is Hilchus uh, Malachim Simon Ayin Aleph. We're going to do just two halachos here. So Yud Aleph, he, he quotes the Ramam. Od Kasav, the Ramam writes, So we read this last week. Uh, not just Malchus, but all positions of authority and appointments are an inheritance from uh, to, to one son and grandson forever. That's only if the son uh, like is worthy to take his father's place in Chachma and Yerushchet. Uh, okay. So then he says, "Haya mamali biira afapish eno mamali bechachma mamin also b'machum avi mamin also." So if he is a replacement in Yira but not chachma, you you do replace the father, or you do have him take his father's place, and then you teach him. Pomish ein bo yiras shemaim afapish chachmas and ruba ein mamani also minui min haminuim should be Israel. Someone does not have yiras shemaim, even though he has chachma, then you don't appoint him to anything. So that was just quoting from, from the Ramam. Then he adds the source, It says, by the king, he and his sons. So that only is about the king having an, uh, an inheritance of the kingship. How do you know that all Jewish leaders uh, take after their fathers? Because the puzzle concludes in the midst of Israel. By Nadav and Avihu, when they died, it says they didn't have sons. So you infer from there, if they had sons, they would have come first. Even if they weren't 
equal to Allah's name tomorrow, which I had never heard of that before, that that just those two sons of Aaron would have uh, continued. Yeah. No, oh, okay. Okay. So now the Oracle Shulchan answers our question, which is what about nowadays and like Rosh Yeshiva and stuff? So he says, and I don't know how we poskin, how different people poskin. Vada, and this is going to make you make a face uh, based on what we're learning. Vada, All of this is only regarding appointments and positions of authority. Like being a Kohen Gadol or being a Nasi or uh, I don't know if there's a Gabai Tzedakah. But something that the root is the Torah, Kmo Rav Hakihila, like the Rav of a congregation, a Rosh Yeshiva, Kadima, Laben, we don't um, give precedence to the son, Shein Hatorah Birusha, because the Torah is not an inheritance. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and we're learning a sukkah now about how the whole reason why we can't teach uh, Torahs to non-Jews or non-Jews can't learn Torahs is because the Torah is an inheritance. And that's like the first possible, you know. So I, I don't know, maybe Morasha, Yerusha, but whatever. So that, that's what he says halakhically. It's, it's, yeah, it's not a familial. Yeah, it's not a, uh, correct. That's that's probably what it means, right? It's not a familial inheritance. Ulafiani uh, is daiti, according to my humble opinion, Dilchain lo nismana echad mibnei Moshe Rabbeinu Tachtav, mibnei she'ena Torah Yerusha. That's why we don't we didn't, there was no appointment of Moshe's sons, right? Uh, because the Torah is not an inheritance. So to Yoshua, whose primary involvement was Torah, his inheritor, I don't know who Yoshua's son was, do you know? Okay. Okay, right. So, so whatever, who the son did not inherit uh, his position. Oh, also, the fact that Yeshua didn't have a son. Where does he get that? Oh no, I see. I see what he's saying. He's saying Yeshua didn't have a son. I don't know where he's getting that, but he's saying that his next inheritor didn't inherit him. Um, and with the, the other appointments, if uh, if the kid is only a, a replacement for his father in Yerushalayim, even though. In Chachma, he's not on the level, then we don't care. But if your entire, if the involvement has to do with Torah, obviously you don't appoint the son after him. You need Chachma and your Shemayim. Yeah. So it's not a- is it a matter of like Chachma, like best person to continue the inheritance, or you don't do the kids on either way? So it's a good question. If like you mean like let's say you have let's say you have like a son who has Chachma and Yerushalayim, and you have another guy who has more Chachma, right? Then who would you give precedence to? Is that yeah, the question? Like yeah, right. Right. Even if he's yeah, I mean. It, it sounds like it should go based on Torah, right? Like just the the, the qualifications themselves, you know, Chachman Yer Shemayim. But it, he does talk about it as though there still sounds like there's a remnant of like the son is like an automatic candidate or something if he is uh, if he qualifies in these areas. Yeah, not sure. I think that was the only thing I wanted to say. Yeah, okay, that's the only thing I, I saw there. So I, that was interesting. So that does answer our question about the um, about uh, uh, Shul Rav and Rosh Hashiva, uh, at least going to him. Yeah. Which also, so he just he's funny. He's like, this is basically the opposite of being Muslim. He's like the one thing that's actually inherited. He's saying it doesn't go by inheritance. It's opposite of what? I didn't hear what you said. What people do because like the oh, one yeah. thing that's <laughs> right. That's or at least the main thing. It's like actually inherited today. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I guess well, it's really classified as Yeah, right. Because I, I could see there being a thing where like religious leadership 
is kind of a combo of like guiding people and govern community affairs and also Torah, you know? Yeah. It also depends on what kind of Hasidim, right? I mean, there were, there were, you know, Hasidic groups like Ger and Chabad that, that like the idea of the Hasidus is a type, is a focus on learning. And then there are other types of Hasidim that were not as focused on learning historically. I don't know now, like, you know, what, what the, the split is. Okay. Back to where we left off in the Ram. I think the last thing we did was how the king has to get a haircut every day. Right. And he sits on his throne. Okay. So now today we're doing um, covered interactions. Like uh, like rock paper scissors type uh, things. They're all people who demand covered. Uh, yeah, who demand Yeah, for different reasons. Okay, so let's see here. We got afilu navi So navi stands navi stands before melach. Okay, and bows to him on the ground. nasan hanavi. Behold, here's nasan hanavi and he came before the melech and he bowed in front of the melech all pavarta on his face to the ground. Aval kohen gadol inu balifnei melech elim rata. That's interesting. The kohen gadol only comes before the king if he wants. Is that if the kohen? I assume if the kohen gadol wants, because it sounds like he's being contrasted with the navi. The inu omed lefanav and he doesn't stand in front of him. Elah melech omed lifnei kohen gadol. The melech stands in front of the kohen gadol. What? Oh, this is like a parade order. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh Yamod uh, Bashallah. it says about the um it says he stood uh before Elazar Kohen and asked him. Um, who's that talking about? Moshe? Uh or no, no, Yeshua bin Nun. Yeshua bin Nun stood before Elazar Kohen and asked him. So, and Yeshua, I guess, had a din of king according to what the Rama wrote earlier. Nevertheless, mitzvah al kohen gadol l'chabit as a melech u'lehoshivo. It is a mitzvah on, on the kohen gadol to honor the king u'lehoshivo. What does l'hoshiv mean here? And to, uh, where are we? And to, oh, have him seated and standing in his presence when he visits him. Lahoshiva like to make him sit. Wait, is it mitzvah? Let me just read that again. I lost my place again. Uh, mitzvah al hakohen gadol lachavis melech. I get that lahoshivo v'lamon panav kishiav. Oh, so in other words, to sit and then stand when the king arrives. So it's like he shows him honor, but just like rishus, like he doesn't have to. All right, v'loyamot lo b'mishpat urim. And the king only stands before him. When he asks, uh, inquires of the Urim Batumin. Didn't he just say, So I guess he's qualifying that. He's saying the, the king only stands before the Kohen Gadol when he asks the Urim Batumin. So that's a weird thing, right? Because the, the Urim Batumin is a type of like Ruach of Kodesh. So you're really, you're not standing for the Kohen Gadol, but you're standing for like the function that he serves in terms of a conduit to a Ruach of Kodesh from Hashem. Okay, v'chein mitzvah al hamelach l'chabed lomdei Torah. There's a mitzvah upon the king to honor those who learn Torah. Ukishi kamsu lefanav Sanhedrin chachm Yisrael. When the Sanhedrin and the chachm Yisrael enter before the king, ya'amod lifnem. He stands up before them. V'yoshim betido, and they sit by his side. Which is also interesting because the navi is definitely a talmud chacham, but the king does not. Um, oh, he didn't say whether the king stands for the navi. He said the Navi stands before the king. Oh, no, he did. 
Yeah, he didn't say whether the king stands for the Navi, so presumably he would because he's Talmud Chacham. Um, so when the Sanhedrin and the Chacham Yisrael come and they sit by his side, which I guess is a position of honor, yeah? Right, so then I wonder if it goes... Well, I, mean, I guess they would... They would uh, it's a good question. Or do they both treat each other as fellow Tamil Chachamim? You know, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, this is what Asa Melech did even for Tamid Chachamim. He would stand up from his throne, kiss him, and say before him, uh, My master, my, uh, my teacher, my master, my master, my whatever. Okay, so when are we talking about? That's when the king is in his house by himself with his servants. Oh. So I think this is qualifying everything that we just read. He does all these things in private. But he should not do this in front of the people. Okay, that makes a lot more sense because I feel like it's a very big thing that no one has should take like honor precedence over the king except for God, you know. Um, he should not stand before anybody. He should not speak gently. He should only call a person by his name. So that his um, the dread of him should be in the heart of everybody. So I guess if you can't call him like by nickname, you know. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, onward. Just like the Torah apportions a great cover to him, and everyone is obligated in honoring the king. Ah, so this is the, the counterpart. Yeah. What's a- what about as in calling Uh I think when it says calling him that, I think it means um oh first of all, hold on a second. No, no, he would say he can't call, he has to call them by their name. Uh, right. Yeah. I don't think you'd be allowed to call the, the king by a nickname. Uh um, but you we can refer to the king with a nickname, uh, just not like to him, I don't think. You know, like we definitely do that, like you're saying, you know, uh, um Yudidia, you know, um, all the names from Moshe. Okay, um, so just like the Pasuk, the, the, just like the Torah gives covered, great covered to the um, king, so too, and, and everyone's obligated to honor him, so too, he needs, he, his heart needs to be lowly and hollow within him. I think hollow heart here does not mean like unfeeling. I think it means like receptive to like, uh, you know, awe of God or something. In fact, we'll see what it means. In Tehillim, Kuftes, Halal, means, according to my favorite Radak, let's see, oh, went too far, oh, oh, he's here, Radak, Halal, no, he doesn't know who Halal is, who's going to help us with Halal? Halal, killed, that's what he says, like a corpse Halal, corpsified, zombified, can't be what it is. Uh, halal. Oh, who said that? Okay, no. No one's helping us. Not even the Halal b'kibri migolo hapachad. I guess it's an expression of being in, in tremendous fear. That's what it seems to be. Okay, fine. So it has to be, he has to be in fear uh, internally. Oops. Um, and, oops. And what happens? Gasus uh, He should not behave haughtily towards Israel, towards Jews, 
exceedingly. It says that in the Pasuk, that the whole reason for these mitzvahs of the king and holding the, the Sefer Torah is so that his heart should not be haughty of his brothers. So that's a really hard thing. Everyone gives you the greatest honor, you know, and like to like a crazy extent and to maintain your... Uh, your non-haughty, your humility in the face of that has got to be difficult. I mean, you can see why, I mean, you got to wonder, you know, he has to hold the Torah scroll at all times except going to the bathroom, you know? So like, you got to wonder, does that just wear off? Like people forget that they're wearing a yarmulke or what? And so of course, those are like to fill on. Yeah, right, right. The only thing I'm wondering though that's different is that people, people, we see that the honor that people give to the Sefer Torah uh, does not wear off, right? Like, in other words, like, I think, any shul, people stand up for the Sefer Torah, you know, I know not everyone knows all the halachos, but like people, I don't think they're people who just casually like, you know, treat the Sefer Torah, you know, with total disregard. So if that's the case, then it could, so you could see the sociological phenomenon here. When you enter into the king, you see him holding the Sefer Torah, there's automatically going to be like a, a ripple of reverence through the crowd for the Torah, and I wonder if that reminds the king that the whole reason why they're honoring him is because of his allegiance to the Torah. Yeah. I don't know why you're seeing the same Torah effect also when we're off, and that maybe I presume it doesn't because it's only occasionally brought out. But if you just had safer Torahs lying around all the time, like uh, people would not, I don't know, maybe start eating, eating over a safer Torah. Like that could be, it could be. Yeah, it's a speculation. I don't, I don't know how. Necessarily. Say again? Like holding something is a. I mean, you also saying though it would be like if you were to fill in all the time, you would, you know, it would wear off. I Sefer Torah is much bigger, you know. It'd be like, you know, I, like it'd be like, you know, those big uh, carnival animals that you win, you know. If I just ask you to hold on to that, even if you get used to it, you're not, gonna, your mind is not going to be off of it. It's just so physically large. Well, I think on top of the fact that if he's trying to, you know, keep his ego in check, right, it helps. Definitely, if you're if you're trying, then you'll be able to yeah, use it that way. Yeah. Yeah, answer assuming it will be the smaller thing. I presume that oh, it could be smaller. That's true. It, I don't know. I'm just saying, if you have to hold it, even if it's small, right? You have to hold this all the time. It's like yeah, we should do an experiment. Get a puzzle safer tour and have someone hold it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that'd be an interesting experiment though. Just a psychological experiment. Get a puzzle safer Torah, have someone hold it all day. And I know I don't know how long you'd have to experiment for it to really be the case. Yeah, uh, we just uh, finish reading this because we're almost done with the character. He should be uh, gracious and merciful to the small and the great. I think it's talking about like in social stature. And he should go in and out with their desire and with their benefit. I think he means like like benevolently. And he should be concerned with the kavod of the smallest, most minor person. So he can't let his kavod. He can't like be a, a, a covered black hole, like, like sucking up all the cover. He has to um, give it to people, even uh, people who don't really deserve it. When he speaks to the people uh, in, uh, in, in the plural, then then he should speak gently. Like um, who says this? David says, uh, listen, my brothers and my people. That's very soft. Uh, if today I am a servant before you. Oh, didn't um, uh, Charles says something like that at his coronation? Hold on a second. Charles the uh, third uh, um, servant quote. Let's see if it's. No. <laughs> the servant was clear my desk for me. <laughs> okay, that's, that is not um, coronation. That's, that's that's not very common. Uh He said something to the effect of like, 
uh, I am not here. Oh, no, I'm not here for like the people to serve me. I'm here as a servant of the people, something like that. I mean, he probably got it from like, you know, scripture or whatever. But uh, um, yeah. Okay. Um, and yeah, so then he says, so that's what that's from Malachim. Then he has to conduct himself with excess humility, which is already interesting because in Deos, you already have to be like excess. There's like excess of the excess. There's no one greater than Moshe. Omer, and he said, what, what, what are we? Uh, meaning, uh, that's the thing. There's a Gemara, I think, that says that, like David said, um, I'm a worm, and Avram Avinu said, I'm dust and ashes. And Moshe said, what am I? You know, uh, he should put up with their toil and their burden. Uh, and their complaints and their anger. Okay, you're going to have to do that if you're in, in uh, any position of office. Like a nursemaid bears her nursling. Uh, that's the phrase from Moshe. The puzzle called him uh, a shepherd of the people. Liros Biakov Amo to shepherd the uh, his uh, Yaakov his, his people. The Darcho Show Roe in the forest of Kabbalah. The the way of the shepherd is explicit in the Psukim. Kuroe Edro Yire Bizroa Yikabets Tlaimu Vacheko Yisa Alos Yenahel, which means uh, I don't get that last part, so I'm just going to look in the English because it's Yeshayahu and I don't know Yeshayahu Hebrew, which is. Like a shepherd, like one who shepherds his flock, even as a shepherd that feeds his flock, that gathers the lambs in his arm and carries them in his bosom and gently leads those that give suck. <laughs> That's kind of an anticlimactic. Yisa alos yenahel. I don't think that's just to suck. I think it's to guide. Or, or oh, alos maybe, like olel. Okay, fine. Yeah. So he basically cares for him like a baby, like baby lambs. Yeah. Okay. That's the end of chapter two. Uh, let's just see what chapter three is about. See if we want to do that. Uh, chapter three, because it doesn't go on Malach stuff forever. Uh, oh, this is the halachas of the Sefer Torah. Sure, why not? Okay, and I think. Ah, yeah, yeah. Then, then people said, "Okay, let's go on." You know, but I think that's it, though. I mean, there's stuff about the government setup, but I think this is the last thing about the king himself. Uh, yeah, these are the Eastern for the king. I would like to do that. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Thanks for coming. Okay. If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Schneeweiss. Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at matt-schneeweiss, and my Zelle slash Chase QuickPay and PayPal are mattschneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor an article, share, or podcast episode, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnewas at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.